This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All of us have got to really help our kids learn who they really are and then keep on with keeping them some coping skills because in this world, Dan, it isn't going to be a GPA that gets our kids through life. It's going to be knowing the skills that are going to help you bounce back and keep on moving. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host, and let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint. It is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. We firmly believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is so aligned with this mission. Today's show is called Thrivers, the surprising reasons why some kids struggle and others shine. And I'm excited to introduce you to our esteemed guest, Dr. Michelle Borba, who is the author of Unselfie, Why Empathic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World, and is an internationally renowned educational psychologist and expert in parenting, bullying, and character development, who's spoken to, get this, over 1 million participants on five continents. She's a regular NBC contributor. She appears regularly on Today. She's been featured as an expert on Dateline, The View, Dr. Phil, NBC Night News, Fox and Friends, Dr. Oz, The Early Show, and many others. And she lives in a warm place called Palm Springs, California with her husband and is the mother of three grown sons, which means she has survived parenting for the most part. Dr. Michelle, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I need to hire you as my new PR person. <laughs> I'm so glad to finally meet you, Dan. <laughs> likewise. Likewise. I um gosh. Okay, so your work, I just have so much to to ask you about oh. uh, your work. We have um I mean, we have what you've been doing, we have your new book, and I just how let's just start let's start with you, which is like t- tell us about your journey to be focusing on these critical issues of, you know, of identity development, character development, and, um, you know, all of the, everything that is so important to raising humans these days. Well, Dan, it wasn't an overnight process. It was 40 no. years, actually. Yes. <laughs> and it took 40 years to write my last book. Notice the word last book called Thrivers. I, it actually... We'll Yeah, you know, it was a bizarre concept. I was in college at the University of California, Davis. I came home and my dad was so upset he was pacing. He's really usually mellow, so I couldn't figure it out. He had a magazine in his hand 
And he looked at me, held it up, and, and it was a picture of a baby. He pointed to it and said, Michelle, don't buy into this stuff. It says here, you make or break your child in the first three years. And if that was true, I'd be dead today. And I, uh. I looked at him and said, what? I didn't know anything about his background, honestly, because I'm an only child. He was older when he got married. I never met my grandparents. And he began to describe a story that was mind boggling about his parents who had come over uneducated, non-speaking English. His dad worked in a coal mine, uh, dirt poor, and then all of a sudden, his dad at age two passed away. His mom can't afford the children, has to put them in an orphanage. And somehow, he thrived and survived. He wow. said, the only way I made it, though, is because I had a librarian who looked at me and said, here's some books, Dan. Looks like you like books. I had a priest who kept giving me extra meals to just come and ring the bell at the church. I had the neighbor next door who, who knew that I was poor after they finally released us from the orphanage. He said, you got to go back and figure out how I made it. So turns out that the person at UC Davis, I changed my whole major into psychology, was the foremost authority on resilience. Her name was Dr. Emmy Werner. And for 50 years, she'd been trying to study the exact same thing. And she proved first three years are not make and break it. Resilient children are made, not born. We just have to add it to our parenting agenda. It's how my dad survived and why most kids are able to overcome adversity and keep on wow. going. I love that. Do you hear that, everyone? You are allowed to make mistakes and life is allowed to dish you a whole bunch of curveballs and uh, there's still more than plenty of hope about development. That, wow, that's your dad. Talk about resilience and, uh, and, uh, and what he instilled in you, right, as well, a result. you know, the fascinating thing as I look at today in addition to that, he also went through the Great Depression. He went through the Spanish flu. He went through every. Uh, he went through World War II and four years of stationed overseas in an island, not seeing his family. And he swears it was because he was instilled with some thriver traits. Uh, mm -hmm. from different uh, people. It doesn't have to be, and I think this is critical, just us as parents. we got to surround our kids with anchors that are other people. Like it could be great aunt Sally. It could be the neighbor next door. It could be uh, a teacher, but all of us have got to really help our kids learn who they really are and then mm -hmm. keep on with keeping them some coping skills. Because in this world, Dan, it isn't going to be a GPA that gets our kids through life. It's no. going to be knowing the skills that are going to help you bounce back and keep on moving. Absolutely. Quick sidebar. Um, I am a fellow psychology major at UC Davis. Ah! So we, we have that in common. Uh, Dr. Warner, unfortunately, was not there when I was there, um, to my knowledge. But um, anyways, I just wanted to share that. Um, oh. back, so back to this most important issue is... Um, you know, what you just said about Great Aunt Sally, you know, the resiliency research, I mean, it, it, it stays true to if you have a, at least one person who believes in you and guides you, it makes a world of difference. Oh, it sure does. And we're finding that, even back to Emmy Werner, of, can you imagine, 50 years of research trying to figure out, she started this research in the island of Kauai, and she identified kids who were suffering from enormous, enormous obstacles and trauma, you know, from child abuse to schizophrenic parents to, you know, domestic violence. And for some reason, a third of them were keep on bouncing back. And what she clearly discovered is that they had two things in common. 
Number one, that they'd learn protective factors from somebody like how to cope, how to calm down. Learning a hobby seems to be critical. Spirituality or some kind of religion, if you were into that. But it was something other than going to school that kept you going. And the second thing is they all had somebody in their life who refused to give up on them. And if Mm -hmm. it wasn't the parent, it was usually a teacher. So, boy, Mm -hmm. that alone is our kids need us now more than ever. It is an uncertain world. If not a pandemic, it's going to be something else. And we've just got to reset our parenting to realize this is what it's all about, helping your kid thrive. Right. And the other and the other um, important uh, important statement that you made is, you know, it's not about GPAs. And, you know, we're we're living it or, or, or prior pandemic, especially living in this world where there is this craze for the GPA and, you know, whoever came up with the idea that instead of um, obsessing over a 4.0, now you can obsess over a 5.0 and take five AP classes and all this stuff. It's like, we know that it's greatly impacted the mental health and the well-being of kids. And, you know, Challenge Success, of course, has taken on a lot of this work and basically coming out and saying, you know what matters about your college experience? Well, first of all, there's you know um, over five thousand colleges, universities in the country, so there, there's definitely more than one place for you. And and critical, it's about fit. What your experience is, like, yes. You know where who your people. Where are you in the country? What do you want to study? What are your like extracurriculars? Yes. You know, and and this is what matters. But we all get caught up with all of these these parental stressors uh, that impact the way we raise our kids. And then, Dan, we get further and further away from who our kid is. In fact, when I was writing Thrivers and looking at Emmy Warner and some dozens of really other profound bits of research who keep studying resilient children, and I came up with seven traits that they have in common. Now, you don't need all seven traits, but the more you have, the better. But the first one is confidence, and that is exactly what you just identified. It is a awareness, I'm defining it, of who you are, not what you want your kid to be. And that ability to know what your strengths are as a kid, I love reading, or I love science, or I love whatever it is, what happens is your child starts going in that direction. And we do know that the kids who have that ability to figure out what they're, what they love and what their strengths are, are more likely to keep on handling that perseverance and grit and feel more internally satisfied. I I interviewed 100 kids when I was writing Thrivers across the country prior to the pandemic, prior to the pandemic. And I asked them, each one was an hour interview individually, you know, tell me about your generation. And each one defined exactly what you said. We're the most stressed out generation. A one kid just killed me. He said, I think the problem is we're being raised more like to be products as opposed to human beings. Mm-hmm. We don't have those, those, those qualities that help us get along and relate. And every child almost always use the word empty. We don't mm-hmm. feel fulfilled. And I think that first thing is take a moment to be aware of who your child is, not what you want them to be, but who your child is. What do they gravitate towards? What do right now they want to pick up and do? Are, are they a puzzle kid or a book kid or a I want to be with my friends kid? All of those help you figure out, okay, that's my who my child is. I've got three kids and each one's as night different as night and day. Mm-hmm. So once you figure that out or even journal it, you make these enormous discoveries awareness of who your child is, that's going to help you with your parenting plan the rest of your life and help your kid thrive. 
But what if I focus on who my child is instead of preparing them for the world to be successful and then they don't meet the mark, they don't achieve, and then I'm a failure as a parent? Oh, you're not a failure as a parent. If your child is feeling that glow inside that they feel fulfilled and they have found their path, it's not our path, it's their path. And so it may be different from ours. Their interests may be different night and day than than according to how we grew up or which activities we took or which activities the neighbor next door is having her kid do. Mm -hmm. But in the end, what all the research says is the child who is more likely to be happier and more successful is the kid who's driven by their own passions. Tiger parenting doesn't work, we know. In the no. end, it maybe makes your kid the great violin because that's what you want them to be. But all the research is now saying it doesn't make the happy, successful kid. Exactly. And, and you know, just relaying and acknowledging for everyone like how much um well a few things uh, many things drive parenting right so how we were parented drives parenting yes. our yes. um our own expectations drives parenting our fear of the future drives parenting and you know we are both saying the same thing in terms of being aware and and if you could talk a little bit about you know the it's okay to make mistakes, right? It's okay to be like, that didn't work and, and shift gears because this is what increased awareness is as we're getting to know ourselves as parents and getting to know who our kids are as people, as individuals. Yeah, and here's the other thing. When you make a mistake, the most brilliant thing you could do is own it and tell your child. Because if you want your child to be able to thrive, Habit number six is perseverance. He needs to know that mistakes are part of life and they can be learning opportunities. He's going to get that concept by having you say, boy, I blew this today, or golly, I, I should have done this instead. Or you walk into the laundry room and say, you know, here's what I'm going to do differently next time. All of those are extraordinary tools because we're also looking at kids who are fearful of making a mistake. And as a result, they're more perfectionist in their thinking patterns. They're not deeper thinkers. Teachers were telling me that their biggest concern were, we're talking about high school kids with GPAs in the ozone layer, but they didn't have their hands up because they were afraid if they made the wrong, you know, the, the wrong decision or they had the wrong concept, they were going to get dinged from their grades. And as a result, he said, that's the worst thing that we could do because they go out into the real world. We want kids who are bold, who are brazen, who are deeper thinkers, who admit their errors. And that's a kid who's going to be more likely to thrive because he's also going to be able to deviate and go, I got to do this differently next time. Same with us. Same mm -hmm. with us. Parenting is always a deviation. You're going to, it's never a straight path. You're going to have to figure out, oh, did that one wrong, but I'm going to take this detour and go this way instead. It's always picking up the phone and asking somebody else, somebody else who you admire or you trust to say, here's what I, I'm not doing this right. You got any ideas? We don't do that. We've made parenting too lonely. We've mm -hmm. got to reach out and support each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, it's like all about perfection, all about, you know, like, look at me, look at my family, look what my child's done. And I, I, I might be overstating a little bit, but I want to just make the point. It's, it's harder for people to show fallacy, it seems like, these days um, yeah. in the face of all of this achievement that's being, uh, you know, shown publicly. 
Oh, it certainly is. But it's glorious if you absolutely sit down and tell your kids stories about some of the most brilliant people we have in the world and how they learn from their mistakes. My favorite is Thomas Edison, who... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. has a quote that says, you know, when he has journals and journals and journals and journals. And somebody asked him, what's in the journals? He said, uh, are you tracking all this your successes? He goes, heavens no, I know that. I'm tracking all my mistakes. If I didn't write down what I did wrong, how would I ever know how to do it right? So mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. refiguring it. My favorite book is that, fortunately. Unfortunately, bases on an unfortunate. You can read that over and over and over to a child because each page is a child's unfortunate and how he flips it to make it into a fortunate. Mm-hmm. That alone, I, I saw a teacher. Oh, I was watching a teacher read that to a third grade kids. And I saw a little guy at the end of it. He was doing his math paper, picked up an eraser, and he realized he was making a mistake, and he started just scrunching and scrunching the eraser, and the tear in his paper got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and I could see the little guy next to him getting very concerned until finally, clear as day, he leans over and goes, so what's your fortunate going to be? Uh, <laughs> I thought, oh, how precious <laughs> is that? One kid got it. That is beautiful. Yeah. It's because our voice over and over and over and over, we verbalize hey, it's okay to make a mistake in this house. I'm looking for what are you going to do differently next time. That's how we make it. That's how we succeed. And our kids are always watching. So, uh, right. So step up and step in so they can see how to do this thing, this, uh, the, the fallacies of being human and taking risks and, uh, and, uh, and then learning from those. So Michelle, you know, we were, we're diving into thrivers. Tell everyone how you define a thriver. I'm defining a thriver as really as a kid who um, is a bounce back kind of a kid who sees that obstacle, who keeps on going, but figures out he's got strength and belief in himself. And so he endures. He doesn't need somebody to give him a scratch and sniff sticker or a pat on the back. Maybe he does it when he's two, but along the way he thrives and feels personally fulfilled of who he is. And that's really authentic happiness. That's really that authentic ca- uh, confidence. And it, it means there's no cookie cutter approach. Every child is going to be different in their way. But we do know that the ability to thrive isn't because it's based on one program and it's not one trait. All of the research says it's a combination of them. And every research also says it's not a fixed trait. It's teachable and not made up of your DNA or your IQ or your zip code. I think that's enormously comforting to a parent because Mm -hmm. it means that every single child for wherever they are right now, you can take them up a notch and you can help them feel more personally fulfilled, recognize what their strengths are, teach them those coping skills or those what Emmy Warner would call protective factors or buffers. So when they do get the bump in the road and they will they're going to be able to figure out what am I going to do differently? How am I going to keep going? And Mm -hmm. each time they do that boosts their confidence a little more. Our mistake may be of trying to protect them from those mistakes or bubble wrapping them. And Mm -hmm. as a result, we got a lot of kids who finally, when they left with their brilliant GPAs and test scores, uh, didn't thrive in the real world. Yeah, and you know, you're making me think of uh, Litcott Haynes' book. You know how to raise yes. an adult, right? Yes. And I, you, I, 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 
I know that I just I just felt like this. The, one of the, her stories was, you know, the Stanford kid who literally doesn't know how to like take a box from Amazon into the room, open it up, and take something out. Like, yep. you know, like wow. Yep. Um, now that's an extreme case, but we have to think about, you know, are we giving our kids opportunities to struggle and to grow? Uh, and, and, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, that's the question. I want to say that. Um, so you've talked about. So you have seven character strengths um, uh, to help kids thrive, and um, you've already mentioned two of them: self confidence and perseverance. And uh, I'm just going to list these others for everyone, and then if you can take us through um, what the most the important aspects of each of these are. And everyone, remember, don't get overwhelmed. Um, Dr. Michelle has already said, you don't need all of these all the time. These are just things to aspire towards and to build. And, um, and Dan, yes. also yes. parent, parent, this is a womb to tomb scenario. Yes. So this is your parenting agenda with that. We've kind of got, we never really got the, how do you help the kid thrive? we got the diapering. We got the, you know, how to hook up the baby Einstein tapes, which didn't do anything for our kids at all, but yes. we didn't get the the really the long-term plan of what do our kids need. So it's just in a different little agenda to think about. Mm -hmm. Now, um, baby Einstein didn't give us what we thought, but it certainly did give us a little time away from our kids. They just weren't having the brain growth <laughs> that we all were wanting them to have at the time. <laughs> okay. Um, self-confidence, empathy, self-control, integrity, curiosity, perseverance and optimism mm -hmm. that's a great that's a great menu of skills and abilities so so talk us through them you've already you've already started to talk about self-confidence uh empathy is number two and empathy is there because again every bit of resilience research says that children who thrive have a social competence about them they don't do it on their own they realize that they need each other and empathy is the trait that helps your kid learn we not me it is clearly teachable our kids are hardwired for it unfortunately it is in dismal state and going down they've been tracking today's uh, incoming college freshmen for 30 years Today's batch prior to the pandemic were 40% lower in empathy, feeling with another person than just mm. 10, 20 years ago. So how do you do that? Easy. Start, start. The first easy answer is start talking emotions far more in your family. Just every day. How do you think dad's feeling? Let's watch the movie Inside Out. How does she feel? Let's FaceTime grandma. But watch her face and listen to her voice and you'll know when she's tired and when it's saying goodbye time to say goodbye. The reason for it is empathy is feeling with another person, but the gateway to it is recognizing the person's feeling. And what we're finding is that our children have been looking down so much, they've been texting, uh, mm -hmm. that they don't feel comfortable looking at someone's face, which is where you learn those emotions. We also do, Dan, a far better job, says GL Studies, talking feelings with our daughters at age two than we do with our sons. Mm -hmm. So step one, just naturally find ways to look at mommy's face. How does she feel right now? Look at daddy's. Right. You'll know right. when it's time to, to ask for an allowance. Reading books. This is fascinating. We discovered that all those books we used to read as kids, like Charlotte's Web, and right now Wonder is so popular with our kids and the outsiders. It's called literary fiction. 
And we actually discovered that when we read those kinds of books to our kids, they step into the shoes of their character and the brain part where compassion is right behind your ears lights up. So this is a perfect time. Read books with your kids. Don't stop reading. Hand your kid a book and let them be able to read for pleasure because they'll step and get into somebody else's shoes. The, the final thing I love is a very simple question, feels plus needs. It's by Martin Hoffman from NYU. He says, anytime you're going to discipline your child or anytime you're out for a walk, just turn and say, how do you think your friend feels right now? What do you think she needs in order to feel better? So what are you going to do about it? Or how would you feel? What do you need? What mm -hmm. will you do? The more we stretch our kids' empathy levels slowly along the way, there's a series of habits that I wrote in the book on selfie. You'll get your kids to actually be healthier and happier. And what research says is more employable. That's what Harvard Business Review says is number number one on the list right now. So there you there go. There you go. There you go. Right. If you need a little more incentive that you're thinking, okay, this is great. This is a little touchy feely woo woo, but how are my kids going to be successful? You just found out how your kids are going to be successful. Harvard Business Review says empathy is a key and critical asset to success in life. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Okay. And then of course we have self-control. Self-control. It you can have all the empathy in the world, but unless you can calm yourself down, you won't be able to walk up and say, what do you need? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and unless you can calm yourself down, that stress is going to build, 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 build. And what we discover is right now it's building. And you notice that what happens when it keeps building, you dial it down and there goes your empathy. And what goes up instead is burnout. So we're just seeing this arc of stress going up, empathy going down, and burnout is the outcome. So what we've got to do, if there's ever a wake-up call during a pandemic, is teach our kids coping strategies. And right. not a whole bunch, but I, I would say right now, parents, the simplest thing to do is, first of all, take the first couple of weeks and just identify each kid's and your own stress signs and point it out. I notice it right before you go to take that time test, your hands go into a fist. Or right before your dad makes that, that face to you and scrumps his eyes, you start to move your feet in a little bit. If you can help your child identify their stress signs, it's unique to each child. What happens is immediately, if you don't do your stress sign, it's going to build very quickly. And usually it goes into irritation and anger, or it goes into clinging and they withdraw. So once you know your stress signs, you can quietly point them out to each other. Two things you can do as a coping strategy, you and your kids develop a calm down corner someplace in your room. And don't buy anything. It's put pillows, put books, put bubbles, put um, soothing music. Maybe it's a glitter jar. Anything you already have in your house. Ask your kid what helps you stay calm. And the moment you start to feel your stress signs going up, you just make a quiet calm down signal. Not mm -hmm. time out, but time right. ins. Go and sit over there and just get yourself lined up. Um, mm -hmm. Deep, slow breathing is the fastest way. Damn the, the the most amazing thing I had the opportunity to do was work on 18 army bases overseas. Mm. And I actually worked with Navy SEALs who wow. told me that they were being retrained on how to keep their cognitive capacities up when they're in extremely stressful moments. And nobody's going to be in a more stressful moment than Navy SEALs. So I said, what do you do? And I said, the simplest thing that you should teach every kid, the first thing we do is identify our stress signs so we know we're starting to get out of control. The second thing we do is tell ourselves some kind of a, 
a power statement like I got this or I can get through this or calm down or chill out. He says, not all of them, but just one and keep saying it. Then the third thing is we take a slow, deep breath from real deep in our diaphragm, just low. We take it, we ride it up like an escalator. We hold it. We keep thinking of the breath and we slowly let it out. Your exhale is twice as long as your inhale. You'll get the fastest way to chill out and relax. And that's how we endure. I, I sat there listening to that going, that's the most brilliant idea from the most elite forces we have in the world. Doesn't cost a dime and we could do that instantly with our kids. Some of us do, but the only thing we don't do is keep practicing it, practicing as a family. So right. it becomes a habit and your kids can use it the rest of their lives without you. We can all do Navy SEAL coping training with our family, right? Yep. I love that. I there love you that. go. It's so and then, simple. It's yeah, so and that's powerful, really powerful. Um, this next one can't be um, overemphasized in the climate that we are, have been living in for some time now. This idea of integrity and what integrity is, and I think we just have to be um, honest. There's lots of um, confusion about integrity, and our kids getting seeing lots of adults say and do lots of things, um, and really, I think it's confusing to know, like, well you know, what is right? What is wrong? Yeah. And what we've discovered is that thrivers in all of the research have a clear moral compass. So when push comes to shove and that adversity comes in, they're not so stressed out because they are able to make a quick decision because somebody has planted in their head, here's what we are, here's what we stand for. And it's about doing the right thing. Now mm -hmm. that said, sounds so wonderful. The simplest strategy I've ever seen in my life came from a family. When I was writing thrivers, I interviewed, as I said, dozens of kids, but teachers kept telling me, go interview Marilyn. I said, why? They said, that kid somehow is the most compassionate kid who's got the strongest moral integrity of anybody we've ever seen. Go hmm. figure out how she became that way. Well, hmm. she'd already uh, graduated, but she clearly was an ethical human being. I finally interviewed her and I said, every teacher said, I got to find out how you became that way. How'd you become that way, Marilyn? She laughed and said, it was how I was raised. So I said, oh, please do tell how you yeah. were raised. She said, I remember one thing my parents did. This is so simple, Dan. Every parent can do this within 30 seconds. Here you go. I was six. My two brothers and I went into the family room. There was chart paper and marking pens all over the floor. My dad said, have a seat. We popped some popcorn. We're going to take a conversation and figure out what kind of family we want to be and how we want to be remembered. There's no right or wrong, but let's start brainstorming. So wow. we brainstorm all these words like respectful and kind and honest and truthful and character terms. And then pretty soon we didn't have any room left. Mom just filled up all the chart paper and dad said, this is great, but we can't be them all. Which one do we agree is critical for us as a family? We chose caring. All of us said caring. Our last name was Perlin. So that's how we became, she said, the caring Perlins. I said, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. How'd you remember it? She laughed and said, it was impossible not to. My parents must have said it 50 times a day. Remember we're the caring Perlins. They drop us off. Remember you're a caring Perlin. We do these hi-fi packs. Remember we're the caring Perlins. They said it so much we became it. And I laughed and said, oh my gosh, there is every psych text right there coming through your mouth of 
Moral yeah. integrity is planted internally by what our kids see us do and what our kids hear us say. Figure out the family values you want to be and plant them firmly because, boy, do our kids need them. And that's the first step. Yeah. Integrity. I love that. I love that. We're going to remember about Marilyn and everyone Marilyn. think about, you know, what, what, what family are you going to be? And what a great conversation to have with kids. Like what simple. a great transparent, so simple. Yeah. Okay. Now we're at curiosity. Curiosity. Open. Yes. Uh, that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the necessarily creative Da Vinci kind of a kid. That's wonderful if your kid is. But curiosity is a child who's open to possibilities, who keeps his mind open, who is thrilled by, oh my gosh, look at that leaf. I wonder why it falls. Or look at that fish. I wonder how we can swim. That's what is going to just keep our children thriving because they're curious about life. And what are my concern about this particular trait when I was researching it is that it's that it's no side with our children. They've been tracking Americans compared to other nations of the world and Americans are now going down quicker in creativity and curiosity. But particularly research says our younger and younger kids. It used to be it was at six years of age, a six excuse me, sixth grade. Now it's around five years of age. So mm -hmm. one of the reasons for it is we're priming our kids too much into you got to do this, this, this. We're kind of taken the curiosity out of our children. We've stopped them from asking those wonderful why questions, and we're not exposing them to differences. You mm -hmm. want a kid who's comfortable with diversity? Oh, I hope you are, because that's what their world is. Then ask yourself, who are my friends? What kind of literature are you reading to your kids? How are you asking your children's questions? Are you giving them opportunities to see and feel new things? Because curious kids are the kind of children you want out there in the real world. They're fabulous in business because they're the ones who said, I don't know about that. Let's try a different way. Or have you thought of that? Best thing I've ever done in my life was go to the MIT Multimedia Lab where they've got the most brilliant minds in the world working. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I spent a day there and what I saw was interdisciplinary. It wasn't scientists in one room and mathematicians in another and English professors in another. They were all mixing and being diverse with one another. But the one thing I realized is that there was no thing that they could do, nothing. Every single thing was okay to do as mm -hmm. long as it bettered humanity. And they're coming out with the best inventions we, from Surrey to artificial intelligence. It's mm -hmm. working together and they're yes kind of growth mindsets. I love that. And I, you know, and have to mention this, uh, this, this, this thing called perfectionism and this, you know, striving to be right that uh, many of us end up having not, you know, sometimes we're just born with it. Sometimes it's modeled for us. Sometimes it's both. But what we don't realize as parents and educators, how much, how often inadvertently we are looking, we are correcting, we're looking for right, we're looking for better, and how much that shuts down openness and curiosity in our kids. Yeah. And we obviously, we don't do that on purpose. We do it because no. we love them to death and we don't want them to fail. But the next trait is perseverance. And if you mm -hmm. want a kid to persevere, he's mm -hmm. got to know mistakes are okay that you can overcome them, you can bounce back. Uh, too often what we do is we try to, uh, uh, there was one school uh, whose groups of parents were trying to curate adversity for their kids. 
because they realized they were a little too bubble wrapped. Well, you can't curate adversity. It has to be when the moment comes, it's helping your kid learn the skills so that when they get there, they realize don't throw up your hands. It's okay. Let's just find another way. Brainstorming is absolutely critical for kids. It's okay. That's one idea. What's another? Keep on going. Uh, Or don't give up. Maybe mm-hmm. each family has one one hard rule where you don't give up that particular task. You just keep on going. And as a result, your child is going to be more likely to thrive because he's got that mindset that says, I can. Well, and and related, uh, the, last, uh, the last one here I love, optimism. Yeah. Optimism. How important is optimism? Absolutely crucial, particularly now. I mm-hmm. I realized when I was interviewing kids that we are raising, unfortunately, a pessimistic group, and in all fairness, rightly so. If you were a child right now and all you did was watch the news and saw a daily death count, how would that make you feel? What we're finding is that when kids don't have a sense of hope or a belief that things will get better in the world, they develop what's called mean world syndrome. And all those thriving traits start getting shut off because they realize what's 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 it going to do? What's the point? Mm-hmm. What's the matter? Mm-hmm. But the best thing I discovered is that hope can be cultivated. Step one is we got to model it. We've got to watch what we say to our kids and mm-hmm. watch that negativity because it spills over and our kids are copycats. Number two, the best thing I saw was good news reports. When there's all of that doom and gloom, Go to the newspaper and cut out the good stuff that's happening. And there's wonderful stuff happening, but it's in the back page of the newspaper in little teeny paragraphs. Cut it out. What some families are doing is having good news reports every night. What Mm. happens is when kids hear stories about other kids who are doing well, a group of kids from Glenbard told me that they were so worried about their friends and particularly those kids who were a little more depressed and couldn't get to the counselor doing distance learning. So what they decided to do amongst themselves were social distancing, Dr. Barbara said, it's okay, they said, was develop quarantine bags. Each day, they'd Mm -hmm. just make a bag and they'd put handmade cookies or maybe a handwritten note and a couple of things. And then their parents would help them drop them off at the bottom of the driveway. So their driveway quarantine drop-offs. I said, how'd it work? They said, it was unbelievable. Every single kid calls us crying, saying, thank you so much. You don't believe how much a difference that made in my life. I didn't know anybody cared. But it made us cry, too, because we knew that we could make a difference in somebody's life. That's the way to instill hope and optimism Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. let your kid realize that they can be a difference maker, that the world is good. Show them the good stuff in the world. Model that good stuff and keep teaching them. We got Mm -hmm. this. We're going to get through it. And mm-hmm. pretty soon your voice will become your child's inner voice. And, and it, 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 I love that example because it also shows them that they matter, they make a difference, and um, they can be open to receiving help from others when they need it as well. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So those are the seven traits. But what I also then tried to do is find actually dozens of ideas that are simple from mm-hmm. From sandbox to prom ages, each one is is age leveled. You just choose one or two ideas, no more than two, or your kid will never let you read another book. But find the ones that'll work for you and keep doing it mm-hmm. until you see that your child can do it without you. Then add the next trait and the next trait. That's how we raise thrivers. Awesome. And we do need to keep this manageable, right? So we don't get overwhelmed. And- exactly. 
And um, th- this book has so much in it. And just know that, you know, like, like Dr. Michelle saying, if you implement one thing, that can make a difference. And then you can go on to another. A- and thinking of one thing, so seven wonderful characteristics to um, cultivate in our kids. Is there one that you'd say, if you're really going to focus on one, I would focus on this one? Uh, only because I'm passionate about it and it's my own thing, it would be empathy. Because mm. I think right now the the world needs to be together. Together is what's going to help your child thrive. He can't do this alone. Social distancing has really been impacting our children. The stress levels are up. Start with empathy because it's also going to build your and nurture your whole family. And while mm. you're doing it, keep looking at what your child's strengths are to build their confidence level. And those two Plus that self that self control. I think those are are really the the trifecta of what they need right this minute. Mm-hmm. Nice, beautiful. Okay, Doctor Michelle, I I it's time. It's time for the parent <laughs> footprint moment question. I'm so interested to hear uh, where you're going to go with this. So the question is: Tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. Well, this is going to be off the charts in terms of what you've ever heard, I'm sure. But everything I've ever learned came from a kid. And this one was a 15-year-old who changed my life and actually the whole trajectory of my work and my parenting. Mm. Um, I started all of this, Dan, with my concern of school shooters and school violence. So I I wrote a bill on how to stop school shooting. I was at the state of California actually showing them how you would stop a school shooter. This was after Columbine. Mm -hmm. I was vaporized and exhausted. They actually did pass the bill later on, but I went into the the hallway, got a drink of water, and I was kind of hyperventilating. I was so upset. And Mm -hmm. I heard this strange noise and saw that it was a 15-year-old, about a 15-year-old boy. He was holding up his jeans so they wouldn't fall down. I couldn't figure out why the heck is he in the Senate chambers. And he walks by me, looks me square in the eye and says, great speech, lady. Now, when a 15-year-old says that to you, it's like, what? And I pulled him over and I said, what'd you like about that speech? He said, it was the stuff you said about teaching kids to care. That's the stuff we're missing, you know. That's what would make us better people. So you keep giving that speech, lady. Uh, I sat there going, oh, my God. He started to turn and walk away. He turns around. He goes, no, lady, you've got to promise me. You've got to promise you'll teach kids how to care because that is what would have kept my brother out of jail. Now, that was my moment that said, that's what we're doing wrong. We're not being specific enough. We're telling kids things, but we're not showing them. We're not explaining the why, and we're not repeating it over and over again. So kids do know that moment was how I started writing on selfie and studying empathy and how I got to Thrivers. But it was a 15-year-old kid, and it was that awareness that I was wrong and he was right. That that gave me the chills just imagining him telling you that and oh. um, and this is this is columbine this is a long time ago now yeah. like this is that impacted you a long time ago and um clearly with your work and passion on empathy i mean a seed was planted right there yeah because i went home and started looking at the research from the other way what i was looking at was what is causing kids how do you stop it is what I was failing to do. We're not in the preventative mode. We're always in the pickup mode. 
And the commonality over and over and over and over was exactly what he said. Teach kids how to care. They need empathy. That's the best tool that they have. And he was right. I, Mm. I wish I could find that kid, but I'll never forget him as long as I live. Now we won't either. Um, <laughs> so much, so much great stuff, and um, you know, we didn't even we didn't even have time to talk about um, unselfie, which is a great precursor to this book. I mean, it's just like your 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 quote last book. I put that in quotes, air quotes. Your last book here is is so. I mean, both books. I mean, just the idea that how we need to focus on empathy, compassion, um, coming together. And then in order to do that, we need to raise our kids in a purposeful and intentional way that have these goals in mind in our, in our daily parenting experience. I love that word purposeful. I love that word intentional because yeah. I think we mean to do it, but all we need to do is be a little more, how are we going to do it? Added to our plate, added to our agenda. And when we're intentional, what it means is we'll be able to weave it in and have far more mm-hmm. likelihood that years later, our kids are going to be relaying at a family reunion the kinds of things that you're hoping you mm-hmm. instilled in them. Mm. Michelle, tell everyone where they can find your works, your book, your speaking, and all of that good oh, stuff. Oh, thank you. The most important is on Michelle Borba. That's my website. I'm a 1L Michelle, so it's M-I-C-H-E-L-E-B-O-R-B-A. I'm at Twitter, at Michelle Borba. Um, you can find me basically there, uh, Thrivers and on Selfie, and all the other books I've written are, are on Amazon. Thrivers is coming out March 2nd, um, but I guess you can put an advance order, and I get to go do the audio book. I'm recording it next week, so I'm excited. Oh, I'm glad it is going to be your voice because your enthusiasm and passion is contagious. It has to be read by you. Dan, you're very nice because the first time I tried to do on selfie, I cried so hard in the first chapter, they got somebody else to record it. (laughs) So I hope I do better this time. (laughs) This is the time. That was just warm up. Yeah. Yeah. That's resilient. You hear that, everyone? She's getting back on that horse to try again. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Michelle, for a great conversation and sharing your wisdom and this important, important work of raising thrivers to take us to the next generation and millennia of caring humans. Oh, you're welcome. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. I know that you benefited from our, the wisdom from Dr. Michelle today and are going to go and learn more. Thank you so much for being a part of this community and sharing this podcast and our mission to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. You know how to find us and find the show. Check us out. Lots of wisdom among our shows. And you know what I'm going to ask you to do, and that is to intentionally work on being the parent, the person you want your child to become. And as always, ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?